If you have a copy of God's Word somewhere on your phone in a pew Bible uh, or your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 this morning. The text is in your bulletin. It will be on the screen behind me uh, this morning. Uh, we will be looking at a very familiar passage, a very familiar Christmas passage. It's the announcement of Jesus' birth to Mary. And so follow along with me as I read God's Word. Let's read this together. Um, I'll read and you follow along. That's what I meant. Uh, We won't read this out loud together, I promise. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold... Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let me pray. And let's ask God to help us through His Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we do come this morning to seek Your help. We need Your help. We need You to take this familiar story. And I pray that You would make it like we are reading it and hearing it for the very first time. We are very familiar with Christmas and this story. And take it and apply it to our lives this morning. Many of us come from lots of different places. We bring lots of emotions and feelings into this room. Some of us are bored. Some of us are angry, worried, sad. Others of us are very excited excited and hopeful uh, as we think about Christmas and all that this means. Remind us this morning that we're all the same. That we are far more broken and sinful than we ever dared dream. And at the same time, you love us and are more committed to us than we could possibly imagine. Move us with the Christmas story this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Babies make you rethink everything. I remember when we had our first daughter, Kate, uh, I remember we we were clueless uh, as parents, just as most first-time parents are. It's hard for you to prepare for having a child, Uh, and I remember being very excited, and I remember specifically 
that things were going to change. But I didn't know at the time, it's hard, again, to imagine to the extent that that changed and what it would look like and just how much your life would change. I remember being in the hospital with Kate after she was born in those early days, and I remember thinking, this is really not that bad. (laughs) You know where this is going, some of you. We were actually getting some sleep. That was because of this thing called the nursery. They would come and take her and let us sleep, and then when she needed to eat, they would bring Kate back. And then suddenly, everything turned on a dime. We went home. And I remember distinctly thinking two things in that moment. We are responsible for keeping this human alive. And I remember thinking, this should be illegal. That the hospital would let us leave with a child a couple of days old, and we know that we don't have a clue of what it is we're doing. This is crazy. This should be against the law. And the second thought I had was when we actually had Kate home, and it was that first night. And on that first night, this might be a slight exaggeration, uh, but I, we might have gotten one hour of sleep, and the whole time I am thinking, where is the nursery? Where is the nursery when you need the nursery? We weren't sleeping. And in my first fine moment as a parent, and there's been a lot over the years, but in my first fine moment, I remember looking at Susie somewhere around 3 in the morning and saying these words that came out of my mouth. You can ask her. I said, this is not the way that I thought this was going to be. Kids are wonderful. Children, babies are wonderful. But they change everything, don't they? They rethink, they make you rethink your definition of love. They make you rethink what you drive. Kids, regardless of what you think, there was a time when your parents were cool and didn't drive a minivan. They're driving a minivan because of you. (laughs) They make you rethink how you drive. You're a little more cautious with them in the car. They make you rethink uh, your finances and your values. And your spiritual life, they affect your sleep, and the list goes on. They change everything. And friends, the same is true this morning. The same is true for this baby in Luke chapter 1 named Jesus, the one that we celebrate this Christmas. Christmas forces you to rethink everything. You see, the real Christmas story, we talked about this last week, It's not nearly as cute, and it's not nearly as peaceful as we make it out to be. No, in the real Christmas story, Mary had her life gloriously wrecked. Mary had her life completely turned upside down and disrupted by a baby, by a baby named Jesus. This morning, we're going to look again, part two, we looked at this last week, But we're going to look at the real Christmas story. And we're going to see three things this morning that the real Christmas story involves. First, a disruption to your life. 
Secondly, we're going to see that the real Christmas story involves dismantling your kingdom. And thirdly, we're going to see that it it, uh, involves deepening your faith and your trust in God. And so the real Christmas story disrupts, dismantles, and deepens. Let's look at those three things this morning from this passage. Number one, the real Christmas story disrupts your life. Uh, One of my good friends and former boss, John Stone, um, reminded me uh, this week just how crazy the Christmas story really is. He helped me to see it more clearly. And if you think about the real Christmas story, we see the people involved in this story get their worlds completely turned upside down. Think about the story as a whole, even before the passage we read with Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth is barren, well advanced in years, and an angel appears to her and says that you are pregnant and you will bear a son named John, John the Baptist. Her husband is a preacher. He has the gift of gab. He talks for a living. He pushes back on the idea, and God returns the favor by silencing him and making him unable to speak. And then if that weren't enough, we actually get to our story. Look at our story, verse 26. In the month, uh, the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a virgin named Mary who was engaged to a man named Joseph. Let me stop here. Let's think about angels, okay? Uh, we think of angels in our Christmas story as blue, blue uh, eyes, uh, blonde hair, a halo, wearing white, and they're holding a sign, and they're very, very peaceful because they're holding a sign that says, Peace on earth. No. That's not what the angels were like, particularly the angel Gabriel. They were messengers of fire. And if you read about Gabriel, he shows up in Daniel. And when he shows up in Daniel, guess what Daniel does? He hits the deck. And he is terrified. That's who shows up in Mary's room. And it was terrifying. It was not a peaceful, easy feeling. Verse 31. The angel tells her that she will bear a son and call him Jesus. Verse 34. She says, I'm a virgin. How is this possible? That's a great question. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Verse 35, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Where are we in the story? Let's review. You ready? Let's think about this. We we gloss over it. We've got an 80-year-old great-grandmother who's well beyond menopause, and she's pregnant. You can laugh. We've got a preacher who's supposed to be preaching that God has silenced. And we've got a teenage virgin virgin that's 15 that goes to the local high school, and she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because of Christmas. Because of Jesus. Because of the announcement of Him coming into the world. And friends, the real Christmas story is deeply disrupting to everyone that it involves. Think about Mary's life. It will never be the same after this moment. Deuteronomy chapter 22. Go read it. Mary's betrothed. She's a virgin. She's now pregnant. That was a crime. You know what the punishment was? 
stoning to death. And yet in our Christmas stories and in our nativity scenes and in our plays growing up in in our churches and at our schools or whatever, everybody wants to be Mary. Everybody wants to be Joseph. Really? Really? Look at this story, friends. Her life was gloriously turned upside down. Her story was that I'm pregnant and the Holy Spirit did it. I mean, can you imagine her, what her parents were thinking in this moment? She had to have been saying to this angel, please, Gabriel, tell me that you're going to tell my parents this because they're not going to believe it. Please tell me that you're going to Joseph and you're going to tell him. Please tell me that you're going to find out a way to tell the community before I start the show. Please tell me you're going to do this. Can you imagine Joseph explaining this to his buddies, trying to tell them the the truth? I mean, I can explain, guys. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Friends, if someone said that today, we would put them in a hospital. Or we would send them to another town to stay with our relatives for a while. You see, we gloss over it and we clean it up. But when we slow down, which we've been trying to do in the last couple of days, when we slow down and really think about the story, it's scandalous and it's crazy. And you know that we have, particularly this time of year in my house, we have Hallmark Christmas shows on a continual loop. Friends, Hallmark would not touch this story. (laughs) They would not touch this story with a 10-foot pole. No one wants this story. If this were us, we would run from this story. We'd be ashamed of this story. We would move and we would try to create a new story for our life. What's the point? The point is when Jesus shows up, he disrupts your life. When Jesus shows up, he disrupts your life. What does that look like? It can look a thousand different ways in a person's life. It might look like a a crushing job setback. It might look like God calling you to ministry. It might look like a job transfer that you didn't see coming that involves you moving. It might look like an illness that comes out of nowhere and completely undoes you. It might look like a broken relationship or a breakup. It might look like failing a class or getting exposed. Or it might look like something with your children. They have a need and something happens that came out of nowhere and you weren't expecting. Uh, Many of you know that I was a campus minister with RUF. That's Reformed University Fellowship. It's a campus ministry of our church's denomination. And now I actually have the privilege of being on the other side of that. And I am on the committee, uh, the RUF committee for our state. And so I help uh, fill the campuses when there's a need uh, for the state of Alabama. And I'm involved right now in the process of filling filling one of our campuses, finding a campus minister. And we've been kind of walking down the road with this particular guy. We want him to come and take a look at one of the campuses. We've had a couple of interviews, and so things are moving forward. And so we said, hey, we really want you to come and visit our campus. We're really excited about you. 
And he says, I'm on the phone, and he says, can you give me a couple of days to think about it? Sure, talk to your wife, pray about it, I'll call you back. So I call him back, and I say, how you doing? What are you thinking? Please say you'll come. (laughs) Um, How are you processing this? And he responds and essentially says this, I don't like you, and I'm mad at you, but more deeply, I am actually angry with God. Because we've got this nice, nice, comfortable life, and God's wanting to mess with it. My wife's the CEO for a company that she started. We live in the state that we grew up in, and our parents are really, really close, and we can see them anytime we want. Never moved out of the state. At this point, I'm thinking, this is not going well, (laughs) as I'm on the other end of the phone. And then he says this, but after lots of tears, lots of prayers, and going back and forth with God, we think we would like to come visit, because we feel like God's in this. We feel like God just might be disrupting our lives. Where is God disrupting your life this morning? Friends, if you follow this baby, this baby born on this Christmas day and put in a manger, he will disrupt your life. It will be painful. It will be unnerving at times and sometimes very confusing. And maybe you're thinking, ah, this doesn't sound very loving. I want to hear love. Friends, he loved deeply every person in this passage. He's disrupting his own mother. And if he's disrupting his own mother, you and I better pray. He's disrupting his own mother. And it says that God's not mad at her, that she actually has God's favor. And look throughout the Bible, cover to cover, you know what you see? Everyone in the Bible gets disrupted. Israel, think about our study in Judges. David, Jonah, the disciples, we could go on and on. It's what God does. And here's the question, why does he do it? Why does he do it? And that leads to the second point. Real Christmas, the real Christmas story, not only disrupts, but it also dismantles. Look at verse 32. I want you to, this is an amazing verse, and I want you to pay attention to what's being said here. The angel of the Lord says of Jesus that he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, and of his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Here's the point of all that. Jesus came to be your Savior. Yes, absolutely. But this is saying he also came to be your king. That he's the king. Verse 31. Really easy to miss. Mary and Joseph don't even get to name their child. What if somebody came to you and said, you don't get to name your child, I'm going to name your child. You'd look at them like they were crazy. No, this is my child. They don't even get the privilege of naming their child. The angel takes that away. And so here's what we're seeing. Right from the the get-go here on Christmas, what we see is that from the very start, this child, this baby, that's not even born yet, is over them, not the other way around. Jesus is king. He names you. You don't name him. 
If Jesus is in your life, you are not his manager. This child born in a manger is your manager. And people often will say about being a Christian, and they'll get close to being a Christian, and they'll finally go, yes, Jason, I think I'm ready to be a Christian, uh, and I want to be a Christian, but not if being a Christian means I have to do fill in the condition, fill in the blank. You see, what you're trying to do there is you're trying to name him. And the angel says, you don't name him, he names you. You don't control him, he controls you. Christmas is an end to your conditions. Christmas means that you drop the conditions because following Jesus, him coming into your life means that he takes up the throne in your life. That you surrender. That you quit. And you surrender your plan to his will for your life. And it's disruptive and it's painful. It reminded me of Steve Harvey. You remember he hosted the Miss Universe pageant a couple of years ago. And it got to the end of the pageant, and if you're familiar with the story, it made national news. He declares the wrong person the winner. Puts the crown on her head. She's crying in excitement, and the people are clapping. He walks off the stage, and he's told that he made a terrible mistake and declared the wrong girl the winner. He walks back on stage and apologizes and said, I've made a terrible mistake. I've declared the wrong person the winner. And um, the girl who has the crown on her head, it's painful to watch, has to lean down, and the crown is removed and placed on someone else's head, and it is very painful. But you know what's just as painful? To have the crown removed from our head, isn't it? Why? Because as I said last week, each one of us, inside each one of us is a little King Herod. And because of our sin, we don't want to lose control. We don't want to give up power. We want to serve the kingdom of self. And so why does God disrupt your life? Well, he disrupts your life in order to dismantle your kingdom. In order to dismantle the kingdom of self. In order to loosen your grip on your life. So that you would live by faith, serve and trust Him and Him alone. And is it painful? And will you like it? Probably not. I hate it. But it's through disruption. You want to know Discipleship 101 and what God uses to disciple you? It often involves disruption. So that you would be driven deeper into the arms of Jesus. So that you might be changed and your faith might be deepened. It reminds me of this gardener. Jan Riggenbach, she's been writing a gardening column for many, many years. And she tells this story in one of her columns about transplanting uh, plants that are in a plastic pot into the actual earth of the ground. And she said when she first started to do this, she realized that she would be real gentle with the roots and uh, treat them very carefully in order not to disturb the roots. And what she learned over time was that those plants never grew very well and always looked unhealthy. And then she started to do something differently. She realized that what actually the plant needed was for the roots to be disrupted. 
And so she would take the plastic pot and hit it against the concrete and on a hard surface. And she would squeeze the pot in order to break up the roots. And then she would pull the plant out of the plastic pot and put her fingers in the roots that are all bundled up there together. And she would pull down as hard as she could. And she said, you know what? Those plants started to grow. And they started to be healthy because that was the very best thing that could be done for the plants. Because unless you spread spread out the roots, the plant will not be healthy and it will not grow properly. Well, there's a sense, and that's what God wants to do in your life and in my life. He wants to, in a sense, put his fingers in the soil of our hearts And he wants to pull down on the roots that are there. And yes, some of the roots are going to rip. But it's the very best thing that can be done for our hearts. Because it will lead to growth and it will lead to fruitfulness and maturity. And it will lead to the dethroning and the dismantling of the kingdom of self. Disruption in your life is one of God's main discipleship tools. And it's for everyone. From the oldest to the youngest. Even people that are in their 80s sitting in here this morning. Think about Zachariah and Elizabeth. I hope that does not mean you are pregnant. (laughs) But notice their life is disrupted. And I don't want that to sound discouraging. That's encouraging because it means God's pursuing you and changing you for as long as you live on this earth. And the problem, though, is that we would rather change ourselves. And you can't change yourself. And that's a good thing, because if you could change yourself, you know what we would do? We would just pull down certain roots. We would never make ourselves uncomfortable. We would only pull down certain roots and the roots that don't need to be pulled down. And the truth is, what is good about us and attractive about us has come from the disruption in our lives that we would probably have avoided. Is that not true? Yes. Secondly, Christmas means not only a disruption to your life, but a dismantling of your kingdom. Thirdly, a deepening of your faith and trust. Look at verse 34. Mary responds, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And I am so glad this question is in the Bible. Because it actually adds validity um, and credibility to this account. Because if this were not in the Bible, this would seem like it's a story that's made up. It would seem like a legend, but it is here. And the angel answers her, and she probably doesn't get all the answers that she's wanting. And all the questions that she has, but she gets an answer. And I want you to see the response. Verse 38. It's an amazing response to someone who's had their life completely turned upside down. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departs. How does Mary respond to this disruption so well? Well, the first thing I want to say is that Mary was a real sinner. Mary was a real sinner. We know this because if you keep reading the story, uh, she had some really hard moments in her life. Remember, it says that Jesus' mother and brothers thought he was crazy. 
They couldn't believe the claims that he was making. They couldn't believe what he was doing. And so I say that to say, because sometimes we can put her up really high and think, oh, Mary, she's just like us. She's just like us. Luke chapter 1, we see that she shows up a sinner. And so how does she do it? How does she respond and actually submit and take her hands off her life and say that I am a servant of the Lord? And more importantly, how do we respond like this? How do we take our hands off our life and submit to what God is doing, even disruptions that he brings into our lives? Well, in order to respond this way, the way we see Mary responding, you got to know one thing. You have to know that you're favored by God if you're a Christian and a believer in Jesus Christ. You've got to know that you're favored. Look at verse 28 and 30. Did you notice the repeated words there? The angel tells her, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You are favored by God. This is really important. Okay, we can't miss this. The word favored here in the original language is normally the word that's translated grace. That's huge. It's normally the word translated grace. And so here's what this means. This is not God saying, God, this is not God saying and coming to Mary and saying, Oh, Mary, since you showed up into the world with so much goodness and so much grace, and since you're better than everyone else around you, you get the privilege of being the mother of of God, the mother of Jesus. No, 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 no. This is saying, remember the word originally, it's translated grace. And it's basically it's saying here that you have been graced, Mary. That God's grace has been set upon you. That you don't deserve it and you have not earned it. It's something that you've received. It's, un, it's unmerited favor. It's not because you were better than everyone else. But it's by God's free grace. And here's what's interesting. If you read, keep reading in the Christmas story, she knows this. She knows this. Mary's not walking around with everybody going, See, I told you. I told you I, I got it going on. I'm better. And now God's rewarding me finally. No. Mary, she gets it. She knows this is a gift. How do we know? Look at verses 46 through 49. You can flip over. It's her song. And if you read her song, she is floored that God would do this for her. She is floored and amazed that this has happened to her. And so how do you trust God in the midst of life's disruptions? You've got to realize God's radical grace to you. You've got to realize God's goodness and kindness to you. And when you believe that, that God favors you, you see, you're able to trust Him. You know He's good. And you're able to lean into that and trust Him, even when your life gets disrupted and turns upside down. Because you know He's a good king. He's not Herod. He's a good and gracious king. And He's in control. Think about those verses earlier. To His kingdom will be no end. It focuses on the kingship. He's in control of every single detail of your life. And the Bible says that not a hair can fall from your head without Him knowing it. And He's good and gracious and He's poured out His favor and grace upon you. Kevin Twitt, he um, 
He's a friend of mine, but he's also he's the founder of Indelible Grace Music, where it's kind of the we've seen some of their songs here, taking older hymns and putting them to new music. And he and his wife Wendy, a couple of nights ago, were heading to a concert in Nashville. And I want you to imagine here 280, okay, during this time of year. And as they're going to this concert, they're running a little bit late, and they're at a stoplight, and the stoplight is red, and the stoplight turns green, and all the other lanes start moving. Their lane's not moving. And you can imagine if you're on 280, your lane not moving, everyone else is. People are laying on the horn. People are hollering out their windows. People are frustrated. Wendy turns to Kevin and says, I told you we should have been in the far left lane. That's the lane that moves. And then a few of the cars that are in front of them pass, you know, get over and pass the car that's kind of stalled in the middle of the road and not going. And so they get, finally get up beside and try to pass. Well, right as they're up beside this car, the light turns red. And so they're stopped right next to this car that is stalled in the middle of the road. And Wendy starts to notice he's on the phone, and she said, something's not right. Let's row down the window. They row down the window. They ask this gentleman how he's doing, and he says, I'm not good. I'm confused, and I don't know where I am. The man gave the phone to Kevin, and on the other end of the line was his girlfriend. And his girlfriend says, he's diabetic, and his blood sugar is dangerously low. Wendy gets her purse, grabs a candy bar out of her purse, gives it to this man and calls 911. Now there's two, three lanes completely blocked and the light's green and people are laying on the horn because they don't know what's happening. Eight to ten minutes it took for the uh, firemen and the EMTs to arrive. He didn't know where he was or who he was. And when they took his blood sugar, it was 23 They continue to treat him. They load him up in the ambulance. But before he left, he says, can I hug the twits, Wendy and Kevin? Can I hug them? Because they saved my life. Disruption. You see, in God's good providence, notice I said good providence, he brought disruption into their life that night and turned their world completely upside down. But it was through that disruption that this man's life was saved. Think about the real Christmas story. Lots of disruption. Lots of strange things happening. People did not understand. You can imagine people uh, not understanding, particularly a teenage girl named Mary, who had her life completely turned upside down by this baby named Jesus. But it was through that disruption through that disruption that God was orchestrating the biggest rescue mission that the world had ever known. God coming and sending a baby to rescue the world from something far worse than low blood sugar. God sending a baby to rescue the world from sin. To rescue you from your sin. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4, I love this. At just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, sent Jesus to redeem those under the law. 
You see, unlike the twits, though, this rescue mission would cost God his life. It would cost Jesus his life. Jesus himself was disrupted. He came down off of his throne in heaven. He became a human being and experienced all that we experienced. And he went and was nailed to a cross. You see, the one who disrupts your life is the one who himself was disrupted. And I think that's very important. Because, friends, if God would do that for you, that means that you can trust him. You can trust him with whatever disruption he brings into your life. And we might not understand why he's bringing in the disruption. We might not have the answers to that. But the answer cannot be, he doesn't love you. It can't be that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for coming down and getting us. Would you forgive us for the ways that we make this wonderful story too familiar? Forgive us for the ways that we go through the motions. Forgive us for the ways that we don't really think about all this season means. That includes myself. Lord, help us now to really believe so that we would take the hands off of our life and trust that you're really good, so good, that you didn't make us go up to you, you came down to us. In Jesus' name, amen.